Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I just want to share with you a couple other characteristics that I saw of the early Pentecostals and some some uh, people who would write and describe what, what they were like. Listen, another characteristic is they always exalted and honored the blood of Jesus. They always exalted and honored the blood of Jesus, his life given for my life, his death for my death. You know, that's the proper perspective on grace right there. Grace, you know, we talk about grace. Yeah, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. He did it for me. But I honor that sacrifice. I don't, I'm not flippant about it, you know, the Bible warns about those who tread the blood of Jesus underfoot. No, we don't do that. It's the blood of Jesus is a holy thing. William Seymour said this. William Seymour was the, the leader of the Azusa Street Revival. He said, let us honor the blood of Jesus Christ every moment of our lives and we will be sweet in our souls. Every moment of our lives and we will be sweet in our souls. See, he would, he would major on the fact that if just because you have these experiences with the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit and the love of God in your life, he said, you don't have the real thing. <laughs> Go back and seek God. Because he believed that, the, that when the Holy Spirit would come upon you, not only would you have the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit and the tongues and the power, but you would have, a, you would have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You would have a, a sweet spirit about you as you kept your mind on the blood of Jesus. They honored the blood of Jesus. Another thing the early Pentecostals were majored on, they, were, uh, they believed in holiness, living a holy life. They called it sanctification, not just positionally, but also in their conduct. In the early days, they taught a thing called uh, entire sanctification. They believed that they could pray and it was a second act of grace where they could uh, be totally free from the desire to sin. Nowadays, we teach uh, uh, more of a progressive sanctification, and that's fine too, because that's how a lot of us experience it. In other words, we're made right with God by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he separates us, and he declares us righteous in his sight. But then as we live out our lives, we progressively grow into the image in the fullness of the stature of Christ. It's a progressive thing as we go on, and that's good too. But let's do this. Let's always believe that it is possible to continue to grow in, in holiness and live a holy life, amen? John Lake said, said this quote about holiness. He said, real Christianity is marked by the pureness, by the holiness of the thoughts of man. Next one. And if Christianity, the kind you have, does not produce in your mind real holiness, real purity, real sweetness, real truth, then it is a poor brand. Change it right away. You know, they would they'd call out people who were saying that they were hanging out with the church and, and uh, acting a certain way, but didn't have this fruit of the Spirit in their lives. They say, go back to God, pray until you get the real thing. <laughs> Amen? Don't settle for a counterfeit when you can have the real thing. You know, Jesus did not die on the cross and, and hang the fruit of what he did so far out that nobody could reach it. It's right here available for anyone to grab hold of. So holiness was another characteristic of the Pentecosts. Another one was the spirit of joy. 
the spirit of joy. They were, they were loud people. <laughs> they would sing loudly. They would pray loudly. They were loud people. There was a lot of joy and liberty in the Holy Spirit in their meetings. Joy in the face of opposition and trials. In Acts chapter five, verse 41, right after the first Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it says, you know, they were always getting arrested for something. They just seemed like the first couple chapters, those, those temple guards were always running after him, looking for him somewhere because they were always, you know, just messing up the program. And uh, here they are, they're arrested again and they, they get, uh, you know, rebuked and sent away. And it says, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Rejoicing, even in the face of persecution. I mean, come on, who does that? Who does that? Not many people would wear that as a badge today. But, you know, you can read stories about, um, um, uh, who was it? Um, um, Dowie, John Alexander Dowie. He was arrested so many times for practicing medicine without a license. They'd go after John Lake the same way. They would accuse him of practicing medicine without a license because they were getting so many people healed. And back then, they actually did preach against the doctors pretty hard too. So, so they made some enemies, but they would go in there. They would, you know, they would break quarantine. John Lake would, uh, would be going to a house and pray. And uh, well, they, they came to arrest him in the front door. He'd go out the back door, jump over the fence and go pray for another person in the next house. And all the time when he was around contagious diseases and things, he never got it. He never got it. But uh, in the face of persecution, they would wear that like a badge because they were doing the Lord's work. And, uh, and you know, when David Wilkerson went, went to, um, uh, I was just reading this the other day, when he went to New York and, and tried to help those kids, everybody knew who David Wilkerson is? I, I didn't mean to open up a new subject that I'd have to go back and explain the whole thing. But he went there and, uh, and they, they tricked him into holding up his Bible because he was in the court and he was trying to, uh, trying to um, see these boys that he went to help. And uh, they said, what you got under your arm, preacher? And he said, my Bible. He goes, are you ashamed of it? And he, no, we'll hold it up. So he holds it up and they snap his picture. And the next day in the newspaper, there's this thundering hillbilly preacher from Pennsylvania in New York City holding up his Bible <laughs> and this terrible story about him. But you know what? That opened up the whole door for him to go in and minister to the, to the inner city kids because they said, they don't like you either, preacher, so we like you. <laughs> it made him immediately uh, 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 popular. <laughs> it was amazing how God can work. You know, but we need to wear those things as a badge and be joyful even in the face of opposition because God can take the opposition and use it to his advantage if we will continue to have the right attitude. Amen? Yeah, underdog, yeah. So today I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about action. The original Pentecost, the spirit of Pentecost is a spirit of action. It produced men and women of action. They were not spectators. They were not, there were no passive spectators. They were actually involved in the movement. Everybody had a part to play. Everybody sought after God. They recognized that the spirit could use any available vessel to accomplish what he wanted. Everyone, anyone. I've heard of uh, 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 meetings um, when, when I'm, you, know, you guys know I'm studying some of the uh, Assembly of God history for an exam I have to take. 
and uh, there was a meeting, and all the all the big important preachers were there, and they were, you know, praying and having a time. And the person who was sweeping the floor was the one the Holy Spirit came on, and they prophesied, you know. And they weren't expecting that. They thought it'd be Mr. Bigwig Preacher, you know, all these leaders in this. And it was the, it was the, the, I think it was a woman who was sweeping the floor. The Holy Spirit came on her and she had the word for the meeting. And they recognized that everybody has a part to play. There are no spectators in a Holy Spirit meeting. Yes. There are none. Everybody has the responsibility to press in. Everybody has a responsibility to seek God. Everybody is a carrier of the Holy Spirit. And everybody has the, oppor uh, the opportunity to open yourself and yield yourself to what God is doing or close yourself. Let's all jump in there together, amen? Amen. Catherine Kuhlman said that God is not looking for gold vessels or silver vessels. He's looking for willing vessels. Willing vessels. Even if you're the floor sweeper, <laughs> he's looking for willing vessels, Amen. So at the leading of the Spirit, these early Pentecostals, they would move across the country or even around the world to follow the call of God. They went, I told you a couple weeks ago, so urgently because they believed Jesus was coming that they would go without even raising support or having a mission board behind them or anything. They would just go. They would go. When we go to the opening of the book of Acts, we see these 120 believers in this upper room praying, right? waiting for the promise of the Father. But when the Holy Spirit fell on them, they were just, they couldn't be contained in the room anymore. They're poured out in the streets. And 3,000 are saved that day because the Holy Spirit produces men and women of action. Action, amen, action. You can read about, anybody know, I've talked about a man named F.F. F. Bosworth. I'm gonna quote him a little bit today. He had a, a really good, uh, 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 he was known for a healing he wrote the book called Christ the Healer. He had a really tremendous healing ministry. M mass healings would happen in his meetings. He's the sweetest man if you ever listen to him. There's actually recordings. There's about four recordings of him. They're a little old, so they're kind of hard to hear. But my goodness, he is the sweetest man when you listen to him talk about what God is doing. And, and, and if you can search those out online and find them, listen to him, it'll bless you. But um, F.F. Bosworth, in the end of his book, there's chapters of testimonies. And the testimonies are crazy because they go like this. Mrs. So-and-so, and they would give an address because they would research them. They weren't just making this up. They would give you names and addresses, tell you where they live. She came and she got ministered to and she received healing for something, right? Then she goes home and prays for her neighbor and her neighbor gets healed. And then they go and pray for another neighbor and they get healed. You see what I'm saying? They didn't all have to come to the meeting because why? Each person was a participant. Each person was a participant. Each person could carry the anointing and the power of God wherever they went. And when she came to the meeting and received it, she went and ministered it to her neighbor. And there were multiple testimonies like that where they went, because why? The Holy Spirit would produce men and women of action. Action. They were all involved with what God was doing. I don't remember where I heard this, but I heard somebody who said this, you know, the book of Acts was written because somebody acted. That's why it's called the book of Acts. It's action. People were doing things. The Holy Spirit was working. God was working. The people were working. They were all working together. Acts is a book of action. The Pentecostal experience produces people of action. The, Holy, the, the Pentecostal movement was, was expanded and advanced by people, men and women of action, who were willing to go. 
Acts is a book of action. Very good. Go to that John Lake quote. I want to look at that with you. I like this. This one, this one is a, this one will change the way you think if you'll let it. John Lake said, it is a law of the human mind that I can act myself into believing faster than I can believe myself into acting. Think about that. I can act myself into believing faster than I can believe myself into acting. You know, if that was true then, it's even more true now, you know? If you've ever talked to like a young person coming out through the school system and going out to a liberal college, you know, and you spend time with them and you try to figure out how they think, you, you'll realize quickly that we are being trained as a culture, okay? Our mind, we're being programmed as a culture to be cynical and skeptical about anything that challenged the current, challenges the current narrative. You know what I'm saying? I think, you know, sometimes you could take a person like that and you could literally pray for somebody and grow out an arm right in front of them, but they wouldn't believe it until it was investigated and peer-reviewed. Because we've learned how to be cynical and skeptical and negative and say, well, I don't, you know, you know I don't know if that's real. I need, I need you know, somebody to investigate it. And, and has that been determined to be the fact? Well, you just saw it right in front of you. Well, yeah, I, you know, but we're being programmed to, to, think in such a way that we will never come into believing God. If we go the way of this world, our minds are constantly being fed bad information and our hearts are being starved. Think about that. I think I put that on the slide. That's not a quote by any Pentecostal person. I just made it up. But I said, our minds are being fed and our hearts, maybe I don't have it back there. That's okay. But our minds are being fed Look at that. And our hearts are being starved. Because where does faith preside? Where does it live? It's in your heart, right? Jesus didn't ask for you to just give me your mind. He wants your mind. He wants you to serve him with your mind and strength. He wants you to renew your mind. But he wants you to give him your life, your heart, right? Faith is of the heart. And we can live out of our hearts in faith. And we've limited ourselves when we only live out of our heads, and the, the, the senses that we can come into contact with. You know, our senses are very limited. You know, we have five senses and they are great servants and they contact this world, but that's not all there is. They have limitations. But our heart with God connected to it, we're unlimited, right? Think about this. I, I've heard it described this way. When Adam fell, he fell... When, when he was, before he sinned, he was a spirit man. He was living in a body. He had a body, but he was living by his spirit. His spirit had a dominion and ascendancy over his life. Okay. He would walk by the spirit. He could talk to God, walk with God and talk to God. That was Adam. Okay. And then when he fell, when he sinned, his spirit died and he fell into himself. Because now instead of his spirit having the rule over his life, he was left with his natural human mind. His spirit died that day and he's left to contact this physical world with his physical senses. First thing he realizes, I've been naked all along and didn't know it. You know, his 
natural eyes were opened, you know, and he realized he was naked. What happened? Something in him died. God said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, he didn't die physically for like 900 years, but that day his spirit died. And, and like I said, I've heard it described, he fell into himself in the sense that his spirit no longer had ascendancy over his, his nature, his spirit died, and now he's left with just human reason, human logic, human senses, and that's the state that he left us in. So now he lives with his natural intellect, with his natural senses, and his natural passions directing his life. What a fall, huh? The scripture says this, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. To set the mind on the flesh is death. See, we're constantly feeding our minds the things of the flesh. This world will constantly feed you things of the flesh and we're systematically starving our spirits. If we're going to be strong spiritually, let me just say it like this. If we're going to be strong spiritually, it's going to take a, an intentional effort to feed our spirits. It's going to take an intentional effort to look away from some of the distractions of the world. You know, if there's the spirit of the world, it's in the spirit of the devil, it's a spirit of distraction for sure. It's this and that and this and that and this emergency and that emergency and, and this entertainment and I've got to do this. It's distraction. It's dissipation. But if there's a spirit that would represent the spirit of God, the kingdom of God, it would be rest and purity and focus and calmness and peace in Jesus. So let's not give in to the distraction, amen? It says, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Next verse, verse seven, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law Indeed, it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And there we have Adam, fallen into the flesh, can no longer please God, can no longer contact God, can no longer carry out God's will on the earth. It's a law of the human mind that I can act myself into believing faster than I can believe myself into acting. See, we're not going to connect with God through natural, worldly thinking that's prevalent in our culture today. And it's not because being a Christian is somehow illogical. It's not. It's that the logic that they're feeding us is flawed. You know what I'm saying? They're giving us faulty logic. Okay, look, hey, if you don't believe that they're giving us faulty logic, you know, we've got people who are men who are taking hormones and competing in, in sports as a woman, Okay. Okay, I don't think anybody here is going to challenge me or cancel me <laughs> for saying that that's messed up, right? Okay, but see, we can see through that, right? It's pretty obvious. It's like one of those <laughs> hello movement, right? But here's the thing. If they get that wrong, what else are they getting wrong? What are the little things that are slipping into our lives every day that are coming subtly? What are the things that, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we would have said that's wrong, but now we're, used to it and we're accepting it as normal. See, we're being programmed. We're being programmed. What one generation tolerates is normal in the next generation. It's just how it goes. 
And we're constantly being programmed. Our mind is being bombarded with these things. So look at this. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, the natural person, remember this is Adam's fallen state. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Did I say 1 Corinthians 2.14? For the body is not good. No, that's not the right one. Is it 2 Corinthians? If, just turn it off if it's not. I'm going to read it. You can look it up. I have 1 Corinthians 2.14 and 15 written down. 12? Oh, that's 12. Change it to 2. There is probably, I'm probably right. I probably just typed it wrong earlier this morning when I was here trying to rush. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. Listen, he is not able to understand him because they are spiritually discerned. See, it's not that they're illogical. It's not that there's something wrong with the reasoning. It's just that the natural person can't get it because his logic is flawed. His understanding is darkened. It says in verse 15 that the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. See, we're supposed to be a spiritual people. And there is a spiritual logic. I mean, the Bible is not illogical. That's why, you know, so many, uh, um, uh, was John Wesley in his Bible school actually taught a course in logic so that you could understand the scriptures and understand what God did because it's not illogical. It's just that the darkened world right now with their natural human depraved, twisted reasoning and logic cannot see it and cannot understand it. They cannot understand the things of God. Can you see now why the devil would want to design a culture that magnifies natural worldly wisdom? Because if we give ourselves to natural worldly wisdom and natural thinking and natural understanding, we cannot understand the things of God. And we cannot please God. And we cannot come into a relationship with him. It's an attack on the minds. See, to the degree that we give our minds to the wisdom of this world, we are no longer giving our minds to God. That's just the simple thing, right? It's, it's this way or this way. And to the degree that I spend my time meditating on things of the world and natural human earthly things and ungodly and unspiritual things, I'm not giving my attention and my focus to the things of God. But if I want my spirit man to be strong, I need to take that time and feed myself in the word of God, to believe the word of God, to act on the word of God. Amen? Amen. If we wait until our carnal mind is satisfied before we obey God, in other words, if we wait until it makes sense to our natural human thinking, we will never obey God. But if I will humbly receive the word as true and then become a doer of the word, I will find my place in the, myself in the place that Romans 12, 2 says, transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? It's kind of like having a kid, right? Okay, you know, when you have a kid, they don't understand why you, you're going to make them sit at the table to eat, right? They don't understand why they can't drink gallons of Kool-Aid or eat sugar with a spoon right out of the dish. Benjamin tried that yesterday. <laughs> They'll argue with you when you tell them it's bedtime or to put on a coat before you go outside, right? They don't understand why they just can't watch hour after hour after hour of Paw Patrol, right? They don't, but you do. You're the parent. You know that these things are not good, but they don't, right? But you expect them to obey you before they understand. 
because you know that one day they will understand and it'll make sense and it's logical. So when you're coming into the things of God and you don't understand them, don't judge it. Be a doer and then you'll understand. So what did Lake say? He said, I'm going to go back and read it again. He said, it is a law of the mind, a law of the what? Thank you. It's a law of the human mind that I can act myself into believing faster than I can believe myself into acting. So be a doer of the word and then you will know the teaching. Then you will know the logic. Then you will know him. Amen? Amen. So where am I? First Peter, uh, God expects, yeah, yeah. So you expect your kids to obey before they understand why? Because you know that they will understand one day and God expects us to obey before we understand why. But you walk with him a little bit in obedience, you'll start to understand why and you'll be able to explain it. It's not that it's illogical. It's very logical. First Peter 1, 13 and 15 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. There's a good word for our, our message today. The, the Pentecostal people were people of action. So prepare your mind and be sober minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, as obedient children. You know, obedient will take you farther sometimes than, than anything else. Because if you just obey God, you open the door for him to work through you beyond what you can even ask or think. You know, you don't have to limit him to what you can think. He can do beyond what you ask or think, but it just takes obedience. If you have to figure it all out first in your mind before you'll step out and obey, you are limiting him. You've set the limits on his ability in your life because he's unlimited. Obedience. Luke 10, 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. You've hidden these things from the wise and the educated and you've revealed them to children. You've, re you've opened the door to children. Now, what was going on here? These people went out and they were casting out devils and healing the sick and they were excited that it actually worked. And they came back excited and told Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus just rejoices in the Holy Spirit. I would love to hear him laugh. <laughs> And he laughed and he said, I oh, thank you, Father. You've hidden this stuff from the, the wise and the educated who were supposed to be leading Israel never entered into this. But look at these children who just went out and obeyed me and they have it. Let's just obey him. See what we'll have when we walk in obedience to him. Amen. The fastest way to come to a place of faith is to be a doer of the word. Charles Finney said this one. Now, Charles Finney was a little bit, uh, he, he ministered before the Pentecostal movement, but he's still an awesome man of God. He said, you hear the word and you believe in theory while you deny it in practice. I say to you that you deceive yourselves. Hard words, isn't it? But you know, Charles Finney wasn't really the one who said it. James actually said it. I just thought it'd be easier for Carolyn if Charles Finney said it. 
Look at James, James 1.22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he's like. I mean, he's looking at himself. He's studying himself. He's looking at, you know, the freckles and the hairs and the, the blemishes. And he's studying himself in the mirror. But as soon as he looks away, he forgets. And we look at this word of God and we get stirred up in a meeting like this or when we're reading the word of God or when we're praying and we're looking at this law of liberty, we see who we are. We see I'm seated with him in heavenly places. He is my champion and we see it and then we don't act on it. We forget immediately and it doesn't benefit us. That's why we've got to do the word. When you hear the word, we've got to go out and look for an opportunity to do it now, lock it into our experience and then we won't forget It'll be ours. We've proven it. You know, Romans 12, 2 talks about that you'd be able to prove the will of God. You'd be able to prove it by doing it. The early Pentecostals were doers of the word. They were men and women of action. Wigglesworth said this, I think, I've, I, think I quoted this one um, last week, I can't remember for sure, but there are four principles we need to maintain. First, read the word of God. Second, consume the word of God until it consumes you. Third, believe the word of God. And fourth, act on the word of God. Act on the word of God. You can read it, you believe it, you consume it. And then at some point you've got to go out and act on it. You gotta take a step. You gotta jump over the side of the boat. When Jesus says, come, you gotta do it. You gotta jump over. <laughs> Get out there on the water and let the word work in your life, amen? We are supposed to also be people of action. You know, Christianity d doesn't exist in the classrooms and in the, in the, in the cathedrals and the big holy buildings and the holy places. Christianity exists where you live your life every day. That's where you get to be a Christian. Whatever, wherever your job is, whatever family you've been blessed with, whatever people are in your life, that's where you get to be a Christian. That's where you get to live it out. It's not a creed to affirm to. It's not rules to adhere to. It's the life and the power of God abiding in you day after day after day. Another Wigglesworth quote. He said one time, if the spirit doesn't move me, I move the spirit. If the spirit does not move me, I move the spirit. What does he mean by that? If the spirit doesn't move me, I move the spirit. You know, in the Bible, the supernatural things that they've experienced so many times begin in the natural. Why don't you think about this? The supernatural so many times begins in the natural. In fact, there's not really a sharp line between the natural and the supernatural. Sometimes the supernatural includes all of the natural and then some because it's above natural, but it starts in the natural. How many miracles have started in the natural? Do you remember Elijah when he outran those chariots? He tucked his his cloak in his belt, and he stopped, took off running, right? He just took off running. I mean, he started running in the natural. And the power of God came on him at some point, and he outran the chariots, 
right? But he started doing what was possible and then God helped him to do what was impossible. Remember when the disciples were fishing and Jesus was on the shore, he said, cast the nets on the other side. Okay, they're about to have a supernatural, miraculous catch of fish. But what did they do? Something that was very natural. They just threw out the net on the other side. It was very doable. But they did it in obedience and it opened up the door to the supernatural. Or even when Jesus was preaching in Peter's boat, remember? And he says, go let out your, your, let's go out for another catch. And he said, we've been working all night long. We've not caught anything. And Jesus says, well, let's go. He says, okay, if you say so, we'll go. I mean, I, it doesn't sound like Peter was just like, I got a word from the Lord. I'm full of faith. Let's go out there and get some fish. He was surprised when the nets were full. He didn't expect anything. I mean, you're, you're a teacher. I'm a fisherman. I kind of know what I'm doing here and they ain't biting today. <laughs> we're not going to catch anything. I'll do it to appease you. <laughs> and he went out there, threw the net out the boat so filled he says he fell at Jesus's knees I guess they were knee deep in fish I don't know and he says go away from me I'm a sinful man it doesn't say he was filled with faith and power and received this he was obedient and he did what was natural and then it opened the door to the supernatural remember when the, I read it earlier when the 72 came back that conversation they had with Jesus they went out there and they obeyed God and they came back and they were surprised that the demons were subjected to them in the name of Jesus. They were surprised. I mean, what does that tell you? They must not have had a whole ton of faith when they went out there and spoke to the demon. Yeah, they had low expectation because when it worked, they were like, well, what do you know? <laughs> this actually worked. I mean, they didn't have what you think you need to have to receive something from God. We think we got to be all stirred up and feel the anointing and the presence of God and all this. We don't, you don't need all that. You just need obedience. Obey him. And it opens the door for him working in your life. Jesus told the lepers, go show yourself to the priests. Right? And as they went, that wasn't some great feat. That was go show yourself to the priest. You know, the priests at that time were the people who were responsible for, um, uh, you know, pronouncing you clean or not, right? They could quarantine you. They could say, you still have leprosy, you have to quarantine, or you're clean, you can go back into society. It'd be a lot like saying, well, go back to your doctor and ask for another opinion, <laughs> you know? So just go back to your doctor <laughs> in, because Jesus said to, and let's see what he can do, see what he does. It was a natural thing that opened the door to supernatural results. Elisha told Naaman, the, the, the leper, go dip in the Jordan. And he was offended because it was too simple. He was like, we have better rivers back home where I came from. Why do I have to dip in the Jordan? And he says, his servant said, well, why don't you at least try it? I mean, this man was not filled with faith. He wanted Elisha to come out and wave his hand over the place where the leprosy was and speak some kind of spiritual thing. He had these expectations of what it was to be spiritual. And they were just totally <laughs> challenged when he said, just go dip in the river. It's like, what's dipping in the river? Dipping in the river does not get rid of leprosy. He's taken baths before. He knows this. There's nothing special about this river. But he said, go dip in the river seven times. So he did what was natural and he received a supernatural miracle. It's obedience. It's obedience. And we're called to be men and women of action. Let me ask you this. What if he had not been willing to dip in the river? 
he'd have went back home with his leprosy, right? What if the lepers had not gone to see the priests? They would have stayed lepers. What if the disciples didn't throw the net over the side of the boat? They wouldn't have caught the fish. What if Elijah hadn't taken off running? He wouldn't have outran any chariots. And what if you don't lay hands on the sick? They'll never recover. What if you don't preach the gospel? They won't hear. See, we start off in obedience, knowing what he's told us to do. And he comes alongside and makes it all happen. Amen. That's what Smith Wigglesworth was saying. If the spirit does not move me, I move him. I start out in prayer. I start out in worship. I decide to do it because I can decide to do it. I don't have to wait for the spirit to come on. This Holy Spirit doesn't make you a robot. Holy Spirit works together with your will to accomplish what he wants. We work with him. We yield our will to him. We give him place, amen? That's how it works. Wigglesworth is saying that if he'll begin praying or worshiping or ministering, even in the natural, that God would meet him because the supernatural so many times begins with the natural. You know how many people who got a miracle just coming to Jesus? That's all they needed, just coming to Jesus. They walked out of their house, they found out where he was and they walked to where he was meeting and they came to him and they waited in line and that was all they needed to show as far as faith. Jesus received them and healed them. It's very natural. F.F. Bosworth said that you don't have to beg, beg God, you just have to act upon his word. You don't have to beg God, you just have to act upon his word. See, acting on his word is an expression of faith, right? Acting on his word is an expression of why? Faith without works, oh, sorry, it's James again. Um, Faith without works is dead. Faith without corresponding actions is dead. It's not living faith. So if you're gonna say you have faith, you're gonna expect to see some coming to Jesus or some obeying his word or some laying on of hands or some praying or something that he told us to do. We're supposed to be men and women of action. Amen. Amen. John Lake said that healing is not always obtained by saying a prayer. It's obtained by obeying God. Healing is not. Now, this is a man who's seen thousands, hundreds of thousands of people healed in his ministry. Documented. They would document it. Not only did John Lake minister healing, he taught others how to minister healing and they also got the same results that he got. They saw a lot of healings. And he said, he, he says, healing is not always obtained by saying a prayer. It's obtained by obeying God. Think about it. Jesus says to the paralytic, take up your mat. He says to the blind man, go wash. He says to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. He says to the lepers, go show yourselves to the priest. He says to the fishermen, throw your net on the other side. And every single time when they obeyed, they had a miracle. I'm telling you, obedience opens up the door to the supernatural. It really does. Obedience will take you where where your own intellect cannot. Where your own limitations. Obedience will take you farther than what you can even imagine or think. See, we need to be very careful. And this is why we need to be careful because our religious activities, okay, the things that we do as Christians, because of what we are doing, how we are living, 
Christians, we can come to the conclusion in our minds that we are actually doers of the word when we are really not. See, we have Christian television, Christian music, Christian concerts, church services. We have all these things that we do. But the question is, have they become the thing in and of themselves rather than the natural outworking of a life connected to God? See what I'm saying? As we're living as a people connected to God, we would expect to see Christian programs and fellowship and all these things, right? But if we come into the group and we never have that vital connection with God, we can get so busy in activities that we think we're a doer of the word and maybe we're not. So it's always good to review and make sure that we are actually obeying him. What did the word say? What is he speaking to our spirit? What would he have me do? Am I in obedience to him? Or am I just going through a bunch of motions, being busy, and I've allowed that spirit of dissipation that's in the world to come into my life, in my Christian life, and I'm just running around being dissipated from one thing to another and not really settling down at his feet. Remember Mary and Martha, you know, right? One was being busy trying to, uh, you know, get all the, the things that needed done, done so the meeting could happen, right? And the other one was sitting at Jesus' feet, just hearing his word. Sometimes you just stop everything. We don't need to be so dissipated all the time. That's a good word. We need, we need to center our focus on him so that we can walk in that obedience. And you know, he'll take us farther than if we sit there running around trying to do it all, all by ourselves. John Lake said that I feel, I feel that very frequently prayer is made a refuge to dodge the action of faith. Ouch. Oh, it hurts. Prayer is made a refuge to dodge the action of faith. In other words, he's talking about people who would continuously pray about something but never step out into doing it. You know, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be that here in this church. We want to be people of faith. Amen? <laughs> we don't want to be, hey, John Lake was a man of prayer, okay? He's not saying not to prayer, not to pray. You need to pray. You need to seek God's heart. You need to come to the conclusion that you understand what God's will is, what God's heart is. Then you need to act on it. You need to go out and do something with it, not just sit there and continuously pray. You know, it became very fashionable for, for some circles, and we need to be careful because we're in danger of this constantly. We all are in danger of this, to sit around and pray for all the world, right? We need to be obedient to God. One time John Lake went to speak at a Bible school, and I was looking for the reference to get the details exactly right. So I'm paraphrasing from memory. I may have a, a few little things wrong in it if you, if you know the story. But they've been praying for several months for the, for the Spirit of God to move in this school. And they asked him to go and speak to them. And he looked at them and he says, I think you could pray for 10 years and nine months and you'll be right where you are. But if you will take what you have and go put it to work, you will find the revival that you're praying for. He was a man of action. He went out believing that when God baptized him with the Holy Spirit, he gave him power and authority to do the ministry. When God baptized you with the Holy Spirit, you, have got, you were clothed with power from on high. 
Jesus gave you authority over demons and serpents and scorpions to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He's given you the word to go and preach my gospel and I'll work with you, I'll back you up. It's up to us to go. And see, this, 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 is, a very, this is a very interesting concept here because see, in John 6, 44, it says this, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day, okay? Jesus says, no one can even come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But then we read another passage in James, sorry. Uh, James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So the one looks like it's God's first move. In James, it looks like it's my first move. So who makes the first move? Think about it. Who makes the first move? The truth is it's always God who makes the first move. But sometimes it feels like you but it's always God. And the reason it's always God is because if you can even think to come to Jesus, that's God working in you. If you can even think to pray for somebody, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. If you can even think, uh, if you even have the slightest desire for holiness in your life or hunger for the power of God in your life, then you can be sure that God is drawing you. If you can even think to pray for someone or minister the word to them or lay hands on them, that's not your idea. That's God's idea. That's God working in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. If you're thinking that way, he's made the first move. So jump in with both feet. Amen? Draw near to him. It talks about, the Bible talks about um, purify yourself, right? That's God working in you to even think that to even desire that, go for it. I'm telling you, God's already made the first move. If you, can, if you understand what I'm saying, if that's striking a chord in your heart, that's because God has already made the first move in your life and it's your move and he'll meet you there, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You won't be presumptuous to step out on those desires and those leadings because that's God working in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Look at Mark 16, 15. You know, this one's the Great Commission. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And then it goes down to verse 20. And it says, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. What if they hadn't gone? What if they didn't go? What does the Lord have to work with? They went in obedience and he worked with them and backed them up and gave them accompanying signs, amen? Catherine Coleman said, the only limit to the power of God lies within you and me. Let's take the limit off of him, amen?